good day, everyone. Uh, you are listening or watching the Vile Volley podcast. We've got a special Olympic hangover episode edition with our normal usual suspects, uh, Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Dan Fran of Lewis, Jay Hosick of George Mason. It seems like it's been forever since the end of the men's collegiate season, but you know, I know these guys follow our programs. So they're huge supporters of USA Volleyball, first and foremost, but I know they want to see the growth of the game. So I knew they'd want to jump on and talk about what we saw this last Olympics. So you know, I thought it'd be a great place to start to uh, talk about how the USA men uh, performed in uh, Tokyo this year. And uh, first question I wanted for you guys are, what are your thoughts overall or at the get-go of the men's performance uh, during preliminary pool play? And we'll start with, uh, we'll go with Dan on this one. Usually I go, he's the middle guy. I'm going to go with him as the first guy here. Well, I, thoroughly, I thought we started out great. You know what I mean? I think you had TJ plugged in the lineup and he was doing some nice things and uh, you know, that first match to get that win uh, against France was, was really great. And those guys go on to win a gold. And unfortunately, you kind of just we didn't settle in as well as you'd hoped we would. Uh, you know, we were a little up and down and, you know, from the serve pass stuff. And that's pretty big, you know, especially internationally. And so and uh, and unfortunately, just never found a very good groove. And you could even see it in some timeouts and, you know, just just the flow of how they were playing. They certainly battled hard. I mean, the guys were going, and you knew they were going to do that. Uh, and, you know, some other teams started to get better, and unfortunately, we didn't. Uh, and there was lots of great volleyball being played, and I watched lots of matches, you know. And so uh, and you have to bring your best game at that time, and there's certainly probably some pieces that played into it for us with a few injuries before we got there. And we probably weren't in the best flow with BNL, and, and that was just the unfortunate part uh, of how the team kind of got into the Olympics. And then, you know, and – didn't get, catch fire at all. So let's jump over to Jay Hosick of uh, George Mason. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, all three of us have been involved at USA volleyball for some time with various teams. And, and when you're part of a tournament of that magnitude, you know, you, you look at your pools and you look at, you know, who are the teams that you should go over pretty easily and other teams that are pretty tough. And, you know, when you look at the final four of the Olympics, those four teams were in our pool. Uh, and that's pretty difficult uh, for anybody to get out of. And I think if you would have asked any of us at the beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, who were the four teams that we thought maybe would be in the hunt? I think, uh, I think Poland, I think Brazil, I think Russia, and the United States were the four teams that we would have said, hey, they, these, are the, these are the ones that will be fighting for it. France is a, is a very good team. They've got some of the best players, obviously, in the world. But when you have a team that just is kind of under the radar a little bit and, and that first loss – against the United States, I'm, I'm sure it kind of sent the message of, Hey, if you want to be there, we're going to have to, to, to pick a few things up. And they just kind of flew under the radar a little bit and, and hats off to those guys. I coached against a few of them years ago and with the junior team and they were good back then too. And so when you, when you, when you look at how we performed, I think Dan nailed it. We, we just didn't get better. Uh, and I, and I thought, you know, there's some injuries that we talked about and some, some lagging things here and there. And, and everybody wants to talk about the Serbs. But the reality is, I mean, just because you're expected to win doesn't mean you get to win. Uh, you know, this is a big tournament. It's a big deal. So hats off to France. They were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just we got to get back after it and figure out some solutions, to some challenges that we had. Yep. Let's jump over to uh, Dave Hahn of Pepperdine. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is I'm bummed for those guys, those guys and, and everyone in that program because that's you feel the pressure for sure when you're there. So I, I really feel for them. And then I'm bummed for men's volleyball because, you know, if we make the quarterfinal, semifinal or final, 
there's probably three primetime opportunities for young people in our country to see men's volleyball on TV. Um, so I was bummed about that. Obviously, they they showed the the gold medal match and they showed some other ones, but it's always more impactful when there's a U.S. team playing. Um, and then you know, on the bright side, I thought we had some nice performances. You know, Matt Matt Anderson. When I look at his stats from the tournament, he I take out Tunisia, but he hit 375 for the tournament. And, um, yeah, I mean, as a team, we hit 378. That's pretty darn good. So, um, yeah, I think there were a lot of a lot of good performances. But as you go up the food chain, the margins are really thin. So, uh, you know, those coaches or players sort of know where those points were were lost. And yeah, unfortunately, when it's on a world stage, you get some scrutiny. So. I'm bummed. I'm bummed for the team. I'm, I'm bummed for the growth of boys volleyball, but now we got to, yeah, move on. Yep. Well, so uh, going into 2021, there were pretty significant injuries to the USA roster. Primary personnel like Aaron Russell who had a hip surgery, Taylor Sander, I think it was two sprained ankles, one in the beginning of his international pro season. Then he got one towards the end of his, his season in Poland. And then uh, Matt Anderson was recovering from injury. And on top of that, he had a bunch of new names, uh, TJ DeFalco, Kyle Ensign, Garrett Wangututia, Mitch Stahl. Uh, what, if anything, could have been done better given these circumstances for the Tokyo Olympics? And I, well, let's go to Jay on this one. You know, there, there's some talk that some of the other countries kind of sandbagged the VNL a little bit and, and maybe put some guys in there that they didn't really care too much whether they won or not. They just wanted to get them some high-level experience. And those teams got some rest. Um, and came into the Olympics maybe a little fresher, if you will. I'm not so sure that, that that means that we would have done the same thing, would it have been a different result. It just means, hey, that, that, that was a discussion that obviously was had at the higher levels in those programs, and I, and I think it's a pretty smart one. I'm not, you know, I'm not privy to those conversations. I don't know if those were even topics, but I think, I think not having Aaron Russell hurt, I mean, he obviously has the experience. He's got, you know, world-level uh, uh, experience to draw from. Uh, obviously one of the best outside hitters and, and not having him there, I'm sure hurt a little bit, but TJ stepped in really well. I was really impressed with him. And, you know, there's a lot of honks out there that want to talk about, you know, his attitude and this, and that kids, just a competitor, you know, and if you don't think that USA volleyball has, has their eye on things like that and, and, are, and aren't willing to step in, if there's ever a moment, you, you're not thinking the right way. The kid stepped in and did a really, really nice job. I'm super proud of him. And, you know, to be your first Olympics and do that well on that kind of a stage, that's, that's pretty cool. Mitch Stahl got some playing time. That's, that's a kid that obviously has not been there for very long. And, you know, you, you got some other guys around there that maybe have, didn't get much playing time at all, if any. You know, Jeske and Ensign and those guys, you know, they have, now they've been there. They see what it looks like, and, and, and that might be the motivation that gets them to the next level. So that, that's my takeaway. Yeah, TJ had a serve me sign on his chest pretty much the entire tournament. So, but he held up well, I believe. So, uh, let's go over to uh, back to Dan in the middle again, representing our uh, the Midwest. I don't know that. I mean, injuries are just unfortunate timing. You talk about the hip hmm. injury on Russell, and there's no control in some of that stuff. And I mean, Dave talked about the margins are so thin, and um, you're, you're one player away from always not being as good because that player is elite. Uh, and we certainly had some players step in and help us continue to perform at an elite level. Uh, but I think you saw it on the women's side. I mean, you had a couple of key injuries and players were able to step in and, you know, we took a loss the one time, but then we were able to bounce back and, 
you know, and so I just, Micah Hancock comes in for poultry and you saw that and, uh, and it took them some time. She duffed the first three balls. She said, if you were watching that match, I felt for her. And then all of a sudden she found a good flow and those guys win that match in five. And so you, you talk about our men's team, our guys tried to find a flow. And I think that's where it's hard on the VNL. I kind of agree with Jay, but at the same time, your team's all overseas and they're all coming back. You're trying to get some flow. It's the only way you can get the competition and some of the VNL stuff. So it's a really, it's a tough thing to kind of manage right there. And you're trying to get ready for the Olympics. And then I, Dave hit it. I, I feel for Russell. He goes into, hey, COVID happens. I have my fifth year. I'm geared toward the Olympics to play at a high level. The injury happens. And, you know, and then he's waited five years and he doesn't get to play, you know. And so it's tough. I, I don't know how much you can really change on that. You can't control that stuff. And you do the best you can as a, as a coaching staff to, to put your guys in a good spot to compete. And I think that's what our staff did. Yeah. Dave, how about you? <clears throat> well, I was still laughing at poultry, you know, Poulter did a good job too. Sorry. Poultry, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, come on. She's a gold medalist. You got to get it right now, Dan. <laughs> um, Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the injury injury stuff happens in sports. What I, <clears throat> what I don't know, and there's, this is sort of like a BS thing for me to throw out, I guess. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, we talk about uh, how how teams prep for the Olympics. Everyone does it a little bit differently. So Jay brought it up. Some teams rested. China on the women's side didn't bring their starters till the last week or you know the last two weeks or last six matches or three matches, and they were horrible at the Olympics. Our U.S. women pretty much played their their entire Olympic roster the entire time. They did pretty well. I think the U.S. men they were trying to make some decisions for a large part of that tournament. Maybe it was rest, maybe it was injuries. I don't know. I wasn't there. But you know, how much does that play into it? France pretty much played their lineup a lot of a lot of VNL. So a lot of those things you get to work out while you're there. And I think for a while uh, it's become almost the in thing to send your B and C squad to VNL. Maybe that works in other years. Maybe the Olympic year you need to test your crew and, and get them to grind a little bit. But Harch has been notorious for, for taking pretty much his same lineup to major tournaments and Vienna BNL, he treats it as a major tournament. And I think that cohesion and just comfortability with, with each other. And it came through when, when some people got hurt and somebody needed to step in and those girls had played with each other. And um, so I think there's something to be said about that, you know, and, yeah. and just the, you can't take out the human element. You know, I know analytics are big and stats and how do you measure all these things, but there's a human element to sport. And uh, I think that came through. You saw the U.S. women just get real good and real comfortable. And yeah, they they pretty much dominated their opponent uh, once they got to the quarterfinal stage. So Actually, a really, uh, really good transition into what I wanted to mention. I felt like maybe it's unique to the USA uh, players, but and I want to get your guys' comments on it because I know you keep in touch with your players that play professionally abroad, but <clears throat> the fact in the most obvious matter is we played through a major pandemic and because yep. of impacts of the pandemic, you had our USA players playing abroad, having to bubble in some cases away from their families all year long, come back and play VNL bubble again, away from their families, and then come back for like a week and bubble again for Tokyo. And I know that the families had to take some kind of, of, of impact from that, I'm probably negative in most cases because of the time apart. But how does that play into a player's or an athlete's mindset going into this kind of tournament? Because I, I actually was talking to someone yesterday. I forgot who I was talking to, but they said, 
Yeah, loneliness and killing the time during these bubble times is probably the biggest challenge for uh, all these athletes. So I wanted to get your guys' uh, thoughts on it. We'll start with uh, Dave on this one. Yeah, that's, I, I guess, the, yeah, I don't know. That's, I'm thinking about all these different references now. I obviously seeing Jordan go through it. Um, I think it just comes down to the messaging they're getting from, from the top, right? And we all dealt with it in our college seasons. But everyone's going through it. So how do we handle it the best? Um, so maybe other countries weren't handling it the same. Maybe U.S. State Volleyball was a little more strict on their protocols uh, and safety. But yeah, I just think how how you frame it and how you persevere is huge. And to see the, <clears throat> the different ends of the spectrum, right? Our women go on and win it. and Our men don't even make it out of pool play. Um, again, how did they handle it? I'm not sure, but no. Uh, my guess would be it's how it was framed and and how they handled it. But I guess the one one piece is everyone was going through it, so it wasn't just one person. Right. So you don't think there's like an element of you know with not and I'm going to say this, but I'm not attacking yeah. USA volleyball for yeah. any reason. But there's no professional league in the United States, whereas some of the players they're playing in their home countries, and it, it's just right. I feel like it'd be a better mindset or a good uh, <clears throat> atmosphere for them to actually go into the Olympics, but. I get, yeah, I guess I guess what I'm I'm trying to get at is if we universally as the United States did not perform well, I would look at something that that maybe was, hey, the U.S. athletes were at a disadvantage, uh, but you know we had a beach team and an indoor team both win gold medals. So clearly, clearly somebody was doing something right, you know, in, in that. <laughs> right. So, but if it was a USA volleyball on the whole just had a down Olympics and both our teams didn't make it out of pool play or something, then I'd say like, yeah, we, there was probably a really big thing that we're overlooking psychologically. Yeah. But for one group to win and one group to not, I, I don't know if we can point to a universal, hey, our athletes have to leave and this affected them. Gotcha. Let's jump over to uh, Dan on this one. Yeah, I, I, I think Dave hit a lot of it. I mean, everybody's in the same boat <clears throat> you know what I mean, in terms of what they're dealing with. I, I think, and you're going to talk about it maybe a little bit later. I certainly think it, pushes a little bit of the retirement button for some of these international and American athletes in terms of what they've had to deal with over the past couple of years, just on the mental side of stuff. And so, uh, you know, some of those guys are like, you know, I've, I've played long enough. I've done things. I may stay around home and play, but I'm not sure I want to do this international travel. So I think it certainly has pushed that uh, a little bit sooner, but you know, I mean, everybody's dealing with it. And so, and certainly there's, there's best practices that people are figuring out with how to deal with it. And we weren't inside those locker rooms or inside people's heads or any of those athletes. And so it's like, uh, and I'm sure everybody's learning how to deal with it. Cause I think you're not done with it yet either on some levels. I mean, so it's going to be going on continuously and how do we keep ourselves in a good spot and how do we train our athletes and how do we make them better and give them stuff to do in the downtime. And, uh, and then the family piece is huge. And I don't know, I don't know how you do that. I, I, I commend those families and those athletes. Dave said he feels for those. You think about the in and out of the bubble and not being able to see your kids and your spouses or any of that stuff. I think that's really tough. And I certainly feel for those athletes. That's why it was so emotional for all these athletes. We're not just talking about volleyball players, but you watch across the board and all the emotion that was kind of with these athletes and coaches and everything. And so, uh, so yeah, certainly, certainly challenging. And uh, Jay, anything to add? Yeah, I, I think the two things for me that stand out, one is, you know, what's good for one person isn't good for the other, you know, and, and just because you have, you know, one team that's got things that are all dialed up and, and 
you know, to a T, that might not work for some other countries. You know, culturally, it might be different. I think the access to resources to, to be able to give a diverse option for either individuals or the team to be able to take advantage of, I think that's huge. I, I, I tell you right now, we all heard the folklore over the years. How about the guys that did this back in the 80s and 90s when there was no Netflix, there was no, uh, you know, Skype TV, there was no Zoom calls, there was, you know, international calling cards that cost you 25 bucks a minute to call home. I mean, imagine what those guys and girls went through back in the day in order to have a career to make an extra few bucks. It wasn't even, the contracts weren't even like what they're making today. No slam against the guys and girls today doing it. But just imagine how much different it was back then and for them to stay as long as they did or even be willing to give it a shot. I mean, that just, that to me speaks volumes. So um, yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's, I, I think Dave's right. If it were all of our teams didn't succeed at all, we'd have to look at what we were doing as a group and see if there maybe wasn't one or two things we could do differently, but we had some success. So, you know, maybe we learned from their successes and the ones that didn't, maybe we try to fix something, but I mean, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Um, some of the discussion topics that came up after results on the men's side were, and I'm just going to throw the three top ones out there and, and you guys can, can chat on them as you, you feel free, but uh, excessive service errors, less than stellar passing and need for coaching change. Um, feel free to hit whatever. I'm going to start with uh, Jay. Looks like he's ready to fire up. I, there's a whole lot of contemplation going into Dave's head from what I can see. And Dan's like, Ooh, where am I going to go here after these guys say something? So I'm going to go with you, Jay, <laughs> to start us off. Yeah, yeah. Kick the hornet's nest, as somebody would say. <laughs> I, I'm not going to touch the coaching change. That's not for me to decide. Um, John obviously knows what he's doing. I'll let USA Volleyball handle the way they want to. Um, if, if, you're, if you look at the service errors versus other countries, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but we were not that much worse off. I think we were, maybe the we timing. Were that much. We were How, what was the that. percentage, Dave? Eight percent, eight percent off. From that's 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 larger that's, than I expected. Um, yeah, it's it's fifteen percent to about twenty three percent. Okay, so that's that's pretty large. Um, and it's not like we don't work on serving. And you know, there's lots of theories of you know we'll just jump load it in or just you know just put it in play or just put it in a certain spot. And again, if that's your if that's your uh, mantra going into it of let's just find a spot and get after it and, and maybe just put it in play. You haven't coached at the highest levels. Yes, you can do a couple of things here and there, but it's just like tennis. If you go up against Roger Federer and you give him 80 mile an hour serves all the time, you're not going to be too happy with the results at the end. You have to be bringing it from the service line, consistent pressure a lot. And some other teams did a much better job than we did. I don't know what's going on in the gym. I won't comment on that. 8% is more than I thought it'd be. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a challenge. And let's take into consideration the passing, maybe not being as good. Have you seen how fast Wilfredo Leon serves? <laughs> Have you seen how fast Hukov serves? Uh, it's a much, much, much different level than just working on balls with a machine or getting guys to come in and reps. Not only do you have to see that on a consistent basis, but in practice, those gym, those balls have to be coming at you and in a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, and those guys see it. And so, you know, it doesn't mean we don't have guys that can hit that, you know, in the, in the mid seventies, over 80 miles an hour, Leon was serving a few times. That is ridiculous. Um, and so anybody who can get a hand on one of those things, 
and put it in a decent spot, even if it's just the middle of the court. Kudos to you, man. That's that's a level that I I definitely could never even fathom. So, um, you know, it just serving pass is always a major factor. So I, I, I we we have to improve in a couple of those areas. And one of those is just by, you know, retooling a few things. All right. So let Dave jump in here and on the. Uh, All yeah, right. The, so the, the, the hornet's nest question. Yeah, that was Jay did a great job. Jay did a great job. <laughs> um, so there's a few things. One, I've, I've been around John's gym a few times in the USA gym. Not once have I ever heard him tell a guy to miss a serve. So I think we need to <laughs> clarify that just because he's okay with the guys being aggressive does not mean he wants them to miss. And I think that is, we need to really understand that. I think people are saying like, Oh, John wants his guys. To miss. No, 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 no. He's, he's not, he's not telling guys to miss. He's just saying misses are going to be a byproduct. You have to be okay with that but he's not telling them to miss freaking 25%. Like that's, that's asinine. He's not doing that. So yeah. I, I think people need to get off that. And I brought this up as we were talking as, as coaches beforehand. And I think this is me and Dan might've had a conversation. Dan, you look at total points, right. And how the points are being scored. And so I remember us having a conversation about that. And I, I look at that too. And I think the uh, international volleyball, you're going to have to score about 20 points right? 19 to 20 points, you have to score. Therefore, you got to make your opponent score about 19 or 20 points if you want to be in the ballpark. And the U.S., if you're going to miss it 23%, that's going to be, you know, six points, right? So that's basically all the errors you can give in a set are going to come from serving. So the fact that they also were at 6% error from attacking and 7% block is, is pretty high. And then the fact that they got a 7% of the time. So the combination of those errors. So for I think people look at just the serving errors. If you make those serving errors, but your team hits the court all the time, then you're going to be all right. But the combination yeah. of, you know, 6% attack error, 23% service error, and then getting aced, you don't have to pass perfect, but you just can't get aced and give away the free ones. Those all of a sudden, those are hurting you. And um, so you, people can point to service errors all they want. And the reality is if you're not a great blocking team, you're going to have to be more aggressive from the service line. If you're a great blocking team, I thought the U.S. women were really dominant at the net for, for blocking. Well, they don't need to be as aggressive because they're blocking deals, score them some points just because they're going to slow it down at the net. So uh, that comes down to just a coach identifying what the strengths and weaknesses are and, and making that decision. But you can't have a combo of all of them. Um, and again, nobody's telling the guys to hit out of bounds. Nobody's telling them to get aced. And, um, so yeah, that was, I, I just wouldn't single out the service errors. I think it's, you got to get one of those areas to come down or maybe two of the three areas to come down to give yourself a shot. But we were in those matches against quality opponents late, just the margins, the margins were a little thinner than, than we could have handled. So yeah. Dan. Kick the hornet's nest. Uh, I'm not kicking any hornet's nest. I statistically wise, um, <clears throat> Dave, you may I was looking for this, but do you know what our point scoring was uh, percentage wise? Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Get, again, so so yeah. anybody that's listening to these numbers, these numbers are based off France, Russia, Brazil, and Argentina. I don't look at Tunisia because I don't think that they're they're <laughs> somebody right. that's good enough to be ranking in there. Again, those four. That's Three, three medalists right there in those four matches. So yeah, uh, our <clears throat> point scoring against those teams was 30% and 30.7 and our opponent was 31. 
So there is yeah. 0.3% difference right there. Yeah. So just curious with that. And there's some college numbers that get bloated up a little bit if you look at the college numbers. But like we did a statistical analysis on the college game. Like you want to be point scoring in that 40% range, low 40% range. And if you go back and look at all the national championships, all those teams are doing that. Certainly they were doing it by different phases. Ohio State was serving, so they had a higher uh, serving error ratio. Uh, when Loyola did it, uh, they were didn't have as many serving errors, but uh, they were point scoring pretty well in that low 40 range in terms of that and everything. And so, um, but an international becomes a different measuring stick on the statistic average on that a little bit. But I, and Dave said it, I, we weren't point scoring at the rate of points we were giving away. The other thing, a lot of times, um, and I think this came from Russ Rose, uh, but like if your opponent, if you're giving up six points or more a game, you're putting yourself in a position to lose. Uh, and that's in the college game. Now, international, it's even a little bit, it has to be a little bit less in terms of that. So, and Dave talked about that as well. And so it really does boil down to that. And the funny thing with serving, it's like, and like John doesn't, yeah, doesn't have a philosophy of go miss. Okay. But serving, you get into kind of this thing where it's like, kind of missing bunches in it and guys are trying to do it and it doesn't matter what age you are and you saw that happen on some tight stuff and uh we just got into a little bit of a funk and i thought our passing was okay until kind of towards the end and it just got a little off tilted but a comparison to make if you go look at the women statistically passing wise our three passers were in the top five or six when it all <laughs> finished out and our first ranked passer is like 13 or 14 and that's soji out of all the international. And so you look at that comparison there, women go win a gold, guys aren't making it out of the, you know, into the prelims, you know, from that standpoint. And so I just, early numbers play into it uh, in terms of how we're performing and where we're at. And, you know, part of that is, you know, certainly you can't serve and pass. You can't, can't do some things, hit your block defense. We, we were siding out well when we were uh, receiving uh, in terms of that. Dave talked about our efficiency and uh, in terms of what that number was like 360 or 370 and so but yeah you get at that level you got to be as clean as you can and somebody can sit there and talk about well you know carts grounded all his players and all they did was float and john has everybody jump serving as hard as they can and i think that's a a bird's eye long way view of what's actually going on in terms of that and so uh carts had some great float servers and only a couple people that really could jump and uh, John has some great arms in the gym that can serve really tough and put a lot of pressure on the team. We've seen him do that in the past. And so, um, so I don't know if there's a philosophy saying go after it. So on the coaching thing, I'm like, Jay, it's like, there's, I, I think a handful of great candidates in our country that uh, if they made a change, it's great. John's a great volleyball coach has a great volleyball mind. Uh, and certainly he's got to make the best decision for him uh, in terms of his family and his career and what he wants. And, but I also know John's a huge supporter of men's volleyball, the First Point Foundation. He wants USA to succeed. And so I don't think you're going to see him make a selfish decision. I think you're going to see him make the decision that's best for volleyball and best for his family and all that stuff in terms of that. Yeah, good stuff. Now, <clears throat> with less than now officially three years until the next Olympics in Paris, um, what do you feel that uh, USA as a program can do to get a podium finish? I know that's kind of a very open-ended question, but you know, I think you know, our listeners like, well, what, what do we need to do, if anything? Is it So I want to put to you guys, because you guys are basically feeding the guys into the USA program from your programs, and you see them playing in NCAA D1-2. So uh, let's start with you, Dan. 
whole lot. I was, I was, at least from what I saw on Twitter or Instagram, it looks like Anderson uh, is looking to come back. So that's phenomenal for us. Uh, I mean, that guy is super talented. Uh, so it's interesting to see the shakeout of which of our key pieces, Micah and Max Holt and a couple of those guys that uh, who are coming back. And I think I saw that uh, Dave Smith is uh, retiring. And so which of those key pieces that have been around and been in the gym for a while and know what it takes are coming back. And then we do have some young talent. You know, you saw TJ and Sanders great. Sanders got a younger brother that's really good too. And so there's there's some key pieces that are in the gym. And Ben Patch is still there. I know he wasn't on the final 12, but where does he go? And a couple other guys. We've got some young middles that are in the gym that uh, are going to compete as well in those spots. So there's certainly some great talent in the gym. And, you know, whether it's John or whoever else, it's about getting all those guys, you know, back after it and hungry and, you know, on the same page and uh, taking the steps that we need to take to, to compete at the Olympics where we need to. And I think Dave brought this off before we, before we got on camera, but I mean, ultimately you're even looking at 2028 when it's on our home soil. Uh, and so certainly we want to do well uh, in the next Olympics, but I think we want to set the table for us when we're at home that we're going to be great as well. So. Excellent. Uh, let's jump on to Jay for his response. Well, I think first and foremost, if we can find 11 other teams like Tunisia to go to the Olympics against, I think we like our chances. Uh, but on a serious note, um, you know, as coaches, we talk a lot with our teams about sometimes a loss is a good loss. And if you look historically back at 2000 when Sydney, we didn't make it out of pool then. <clears throat> and then in 2004, uh, you know, we finished pretty high up there, I think fourth place, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then we won it in 2008. And if you look now, you know, in 2020 or 21, if you want, we didn't make it out of pool play. 24 is going to be in Paris. 28 is going to be in the States. I think that's a good historical reference, at least one that I would use to kind of build back that fire of wanting to be on that podium. Um, whether or not that comes to fruition, obviously that's, you know, that's the proof in the pudding, but um you know, nobody likes to lose. And if it means something, which I'm sure it does to all those guys, this could be motivating. That's my thought. Yep. And uh, Dave, thoughts on the uh, improvements? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not in, not in the arena. Right. So it'd be hard to say what we need to adjust or change uh, to metal um, or to, to improve. But I, I agree with what these guys are saying is, there's going to be some developmental pieces, right? In terms of, <clears throat> it's not just about being good in Paris. It's just about the development of, of the program on the whole and, and getting pieces up. But, you know, watching college volleyball, there's some guys that can come in and impact the game in a few years. And, um, and I think everybody listening to this has seen those guys in college. So I think it's an exciting time to be a men's volleyball fan. Good stuff. Uh, you know, actually, uh, Dan had mentioned uh, some retirements and people coming back, but this Olympics saw probably for the last time on the international stage, some pretty huge names, you know, Saeed Marouf of, of Iran, the setter, Bartosz Kurek, opposite of Poland. Uh, I mean, you know, based on what you've guys been seeing in their games and their contributions, you know, uh, who do we see as, as emerging as powerhouses? We're seeing this transition of the older players now leave the game and new faces come up even for the U.S. And uh, let's start with uh, Jay on this one. Well, first of all, Maruf is who put Iran back on the map internationally. Um, 
and there's a coach on this screen that might be reaping the benefits from that somewhere down the line. But, uh, you know, I, I tend to believe that internationally it's, it's kind of on the men's side, it's, it's really anyone's game every year, every four year cycle. There's so many good teams around the world. Russia certainly shouldn't be counted out of anything for the future. Uh, Poland has shown that they are to be a team to be contended with for the future. Obviously, the U.S. is going to be in the mix. Canada's had a really good run the last four or five years. They're going to be in the mix now every year. There's there's really – I don't know if there's really one team or one person at each one that can be counted on to say that's the team to watch. They're all really good. Hmm. Um, and I think that's exciting for the average fan to watch. And I wish – God, I wish like crazy we had a pro league out here and we could bring this stuff here to the States and show people what – we as college fans and coaches and volleyball fans around the world love to watch. And I know that when we get people in our gym, people are super happy to see that. So uh, maybe this is a wake up call for those sponsors. Who knows? Yep. Let's go to uh, Dan. Just on Maroos. I make my centers go watch him. He's, he was one of the funnest guys uh, to, to watch run an offense and set. And so I, I, I am a little sad for, not seeing him play at that level as much because uh, he's pretty, pretty special player and the way he played. And I got to see him play live a couple of times uh, and be on the other bench, which was really cool in terms of that. And so, and he's just very classy, very good. So just um, fun player to, uh, to be a fan of a little bit. So, but I mean, ultimately, I mean, yeah, it's a short turnaround cycle. Do you know what I mean? So it's, I'd be curious to see this pieces that move here in the next, next year uh mm -hmm. for some of these teams uh and like you said there's certainly some retirements but maybe there's some more and you know and how do these pieces shift and shuffle what's the vnl look like next year as it gets going and uh because all the teams jay mentioned are all great they've all got great players and uh, a lot of them have good systems and good pipelines that are coming up with young talent and uh so i don't know who's the next stud that comes out uh from one of these countries that we're going to see that we're just like wow do you know what i mean this guy's incredible and so uh, i think there's going to be a little bit of that uh, i think yeah. like we talked about there's some turnover with covid and how it put the impact on players so you see some retirement so i think there's going to be some young guys that come in here that are just going to be like wow and this is the next guy uh in terms mm -hmm. of that first team so all right dave close it out with that question there what do you yeah, see one one trainer is another one that retired you know they use. oh that's right yeah yeah so he, the reason i bring him up you know there he posted that picture of him passing on his jersey to uh the young outside hitter and similar to recruiting in the united states like i think is us as coaches we know who's going to be good in three or four years because of their recruiting classes potentially that they're bringing in or the t i shouldn't say recruiting classes but just oh man dan's got a really talented guy coming in he's really gonna you know push that program forward or you know, this guy is coming into this program. He's going to help there. All you got to do is go back and watch the U19, U21 teams to see who's going to be good. Italy, I think for U21, U19, and maybe U23, has been dominating. Hmm. And my guess is then all of a sudden they're showing up at the Olympics and they got their lefty outside hitter who's 20 years old starting for them. My guess is Italy's going to be pretty darn good. And, you know, next those funds cycle, at him, next bring them to the East Coast. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the fact that Gardini, who does real well in, in the United States, you know, isn't on their Olympic roster, wasn't even playing much in the VNL for him, shows you 
how much depth they have. So they're going to be good. Russia's good. Uh, Argentina, you know, for, for the last, I'd say maybe 10 years. And these guys know has been crushing it at the youth and junior level. So then the fact that you're seeing those guys play well right now, it's no shock. Uh, Iran was the same way Uh, for a while. They were shocking people, those youth and junior tournaments. And then it was, Oh, you know, they're pretty darn good. Um, So I, I would just keep an eye on those teams, you know, Poland, Russia, Italy, thankfully they're, they're all in the European zone, but now with the qualification next squad, uh, I think those teams will all get in. So next Olympics might be the the hardest tournament, volleyball tournament that maybe we've ever seen. Wow. That's yep. big stuff though, for sure. You know, uh, seeing some of the talent, I, I'm shocked to hear about Gardini, but I knew I was watching through VNL, like, oh, he's a lock on the Italian roster, but if he's not even making that Olympic roster. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, with the uh, you know, challenge of, of COVID and trying to recruit and, and spot talent, particularly in the USA, um, what kind of talent is out there? Do you guys see the level, the bar rising higher, staying the same? Um, because, you know, especially, you know, before COVID, it was challenging to follow the U19s, U21s and all that, at least from a fan perspective. But with COVID, it just made it basically impossible. So, but what are you guys seeing and who are players to watch and, and what areas are coming up with these players? I know it's a very general question, but you know, there, I'm sure there's a lot to unpack, but you know, for our fans and, and listeners, it's like, well, where, where's this town town pool coming from? So let's start with uh, you, Jay. You know, no, I'm right here what Dave about, has to say, actually. Well, I'm sorry, I, no, yeah. no, no, no. Are you talking about in the United States or? Right. In the United States. Cause I, you know, obviously we're trying to keep it a college volleyball weekly theme and bring that in. And who yeah, are we yeah, looking yeah, for yeah. around here? Yeah, Jay, go on and yeah, commit some recruiting violations. Just start naming off all the kids <laughs> oh. that you think are good. How about, okay, how about I forgot this? about the whole uh, hey, Rob, uh, I'll tell you policy thing. Why don't you go first? And just, Rob, yeah. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you the spot I'm worried about the most. It's our opposite. Like, I think we've got some good depth in the outside. We've got some good depth in the middle, in the setting position, and in the libero. But the position I worry about is our opposite. Because if you go look at the NCAA Final Four, you know what? Gabby's you know, Puerto Rican and Rado is, you know, from Bulgaria. So I just, I don't know. It's a position that I don't know that we're as strong as some other countries are right now uh, in terms of the depth in that position. Hmm. I, yeah, I agree with that with Dan there. And then I think on the flip side, I think we're pretty strong in the middle, which is, which is oh, real wow. nice. I think there's some depth in the middle in the college ranks. Um, I think we're pretty good there, but yeah, I, I'm not even going to touch the high school stuff. Just, that's yeah all right violation after violation but i'll tell you here's what i do think i think guys are coming into college gyms so the guys at the club level are getting really good coaching they're being exposed to just high level concepts they're getting things in place early so it's making the college coaches i'm not going to say job easier but we can talk about things that maybe year two and year three we were talking about now we're getting it September of year one with a guy. So that growth arc is a lot better. And I think nationwide, uh, the U S college coaches are producing guys that can go and compete at the international level right away. And Uh, I, yeah, I heard somebody talk about, Oh, you know, once they graduate, they have to go pro that's BS. And I think the fact that you have former national team coaches back in the college pipeline, coaching college kids, you know, is, is probably our, biggest benefit well and 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 i'll piggyback on that 25 years ago or so guys that were in club there were a few really good clubs 
and, and I say a few mean really just a handful that were doing really any of the producing of guys that were going into college and were ready to play. So those college kids all of a sudden become coaches and those coaches are now coaching kids that are getting that high level training at a much younger age. And now instead of it being maybe five, six, seven, eight clubs around the country that are really doing anything of any significance. Now there's 20 to 30 that really are doing some nice things. And Dave hit it around the head. We as college coaches are no longer recruiting kids that we have to reinvent the wheel with just the, the, the theory of old. And there are some coaches that, that either I've worked for or coaches that I know that say, look, I'll, I'll just take a six, seven kid and I'll teach him how to play the game in two years. And then, you know, he can play in his junior, senior year. Well, there's a lot of kids now that are coming in and they're freshmen, sophomore years that might not be starting and be all Americans, but they're pushing the B side a little bit and pushing the A side a little bit on the other side of the court. That's a testament to what those kids are learning at the younger ages. And a large portion of that is because now they're able to watch volleyball from around the world on online. We mm -hmm. didn't get that luxury when I was playing in college. I, if I saw a volleyball match, it was the super Saturday. I got to watch three matches and that was all I saw of anybody from around the country back in the day. Now, those kids have access to WBNL, they got access to the Olympics, they got access to pro leagues, they got access to all kinds of stuff from all yeah. over the place. And they can see what the best volleyball is played like at the highest levels from a very young age. And, and that's a true benefit for a lot of people moving up the ladder. So that's my take. No, oh, good stuff. Little anecdote there. I remember uh, you were saying that you players from 25 years ago are coaching and and nurturing our talent now. Uh, there's some great video of Jeff Stork, the coach at Cal State Northridge, playing against Laurent Tilly of France in 1988, who is just got a gold medal for France, who's stepping away from the team. And um, you know, it's just cool seeing that that uh, influence that they've had on the game and. Um, I wanted to uh, definitely, before we, we move on, I want to say huge props to uh, Paul Sunderland and Kevin Barnett on the broadcast. Um, they were doing some serious work, and I know because I'm a dweeb. It comes down to stats. Barney was getting some serious numbers. I know he's purging them from Jeff Liu, the uh, tech coordinator of the women's national team. He's going to the stat table, but he's dropping some great factoids and uh, Paul was just, I mean, they were both keeping the game so entertaining and engaging. So, and they announced a lot of matches. So uh, mad shout out to, to both those guys. And not because Barney started College Volleyball Weekly on the net live, but also because he just, uh, you know, he, he puts his work in. He does good stuff. So definitely mad props to you guys on that broadcast. Um, let's take a break right there. Uh, I'm going to check in with the guys and see what they are time-wise, but I, we've obviously gone far beyond our normal time limit, but uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Hey guys, welcome back to the Viral Volley podcast. We are in the middle of a, uh, I guess you'd call it an Olympic hangover episode edition with our college volleyball weekly crew. It's great to see these guys because they know a ton about the game. They're super connected, not only from a professional standpoint, but also the personal standpoint, because they've invested in the lives that have dedicated their lives to playing this great game that we all know and love. That's uh, Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Dan friend of Lewis and Jay Hoslick of George Mason. So we've uh, 
kind of did a massive recap of the men's side of the Olympics. We're going to go to the women's side, not because one of us on the screen is engaged to one of the players who meddled, but because we actually love all our athletes who represent the USA and are playing our great games. So um, USA women's team, gold medal, uh, did it in pretty dominant fashion with exception of one stumble there. They went eight and one in the tournament. They finished one in preliminary round play with a little help from, I believe is Turkey that allowed them to get the number one seed. But I wanted to get your guys' comments on uh, the USA women's national team. Congratulations on gold, by the way. And let's start with Dan Friend on this one. Well, first off, yeah, to reiterate, congrats to the women on gold and the coaching staff and USA Volleyball. And it was certainly an awesome time to be a fan and watch them play. And I certainly stayed up late several nights in a row to watch them uh, uh, compete uh, and to see how the, the team went through some challenges with injuries and players respond and uh, coaching staff make moves and find a great groove as they got into the actual elimination rounds was really great. And just some phenomenal volleyball. And certainly I know Dave's on here, but I personally texted Jordan, like she was so much fun to watch, like and not from an attacking standpoint, but just from a defense and passing standpoint, our passing line was stellar and, Larson came up with dig after dig to extend rallies, even in that final gold match. And uh, it was just, there was some really great things going on and I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure there's statistic numbers we could probably dive into from that standpoint, but uh, just a good time and fun time to be a USA Volleyball fan. Uh, good stuff. Jay, your thoughts. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree with Dan. First off, congrats USA Women's Volleyball. That was uh, a fantastic performance, dominating performance in a gold medal match against a team that historically is just, you know, uh, like no other. And, and anytime you get to play against Brazil for anything, when it matters, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. I think the thing that is surprising to a lot of people that maybe don't know, and especially a lot of my friends that are maybe not volleyball fanatics, USA has never won a gold medal in the Olympics for the women's side. Let that yep. sink in for a second. That's, you know, 40 plus years of never having won a gold medal. And to finally get that monkey off their back and be able to achieve something that many other quali well-qualified teams have, have, have shot for and just come up short for whatever reason, to finally get over that hurdle, that is just, I mean, I, I, I was verklempt. I definitely shed a few tears of, of just joy and, and, and sheer proudness of, of being able to see people achieve that wonderful accomplishment. So hats off to them and staff great job of what you guys did. And, and obviously Dave's going to have some more intimate viewpoints about this whole thing, but yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun to watch. Super proud of him. The question for Dave would be, is he going to add some Baclemp as well when he shares his bit? <laughs> Am I going to what? Do you share a little Baclemp that J that Jay was talking about getting emotional about it? Baclemp, Baclemp, oh. you know, you get a little Baclemp, you get a little of the, of the, of the misty eyes. Yeah, oh. I didn't know what that word meant. <laughs> His Myers Briggs test came out low on the, uh, you know, the feelings, compassion. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I got emotional for, for Karch. I'll, I'll be honest. He, nobody loves that program, loves USA Volleyball, bleeds USA Volleyball more than him. And he so badly uh, wanted that program and those girls, you know, I think he feels like he's got 40 daughters, you know, in terms of not just the girls that were there, but genuinely mm. care so much for everybody that's been in his gym. Um, so I, I got a little bit emotional there just because I know how much it means 
means to him, right? I think the nation saw that uh, a few times from him. Uh, so that was cool to see. They did it in dominating fashion. They passed 70% in system, which is an insane number. You'll win lots of matches that way. But I think the overall thing that I take away is culture wins, you know, and it, they had to rely on people that weren't their starters, quote unquote starters, but they're pretty darn good. And they came in and they filled a role. And um, yeah, I think when you when you think about teams and, and teams you coach and teams you want to root for, they're, they're definitely up there. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, pre gold match interview of, of Karch when Heather Cox of NBC asked him, what does he want to, to see with this program? And he took a deep breath and said, I want to see them stand atop the podium and just wept. Um, can't fake that passion, you know, yeah. He had genuine care for the program, love of the program and these girls. And uh, it is one of those, those, those touching moments. Like, wow, I've, I've seen the carts tear down volleyball nets at an AVP back in the nineties. And, you know, uh, and Dave, you coaching alongside him in some of the international events when you're an assistant. I mean, he definitely had his moments when uh, <laughs> some cool was lost, although not a lot for him, you know, but uh, you know, just seeing the amount of emotion that he had and the passion he had for the program was pretty incredible to see. Now, as coaching staffs and also, you know, uh, connections to the USA program in so many different ways, but what in your guys' eyes made this team accomplish what they did at this last Olympics? I'm going to start with you, Dave, on this one. Yeah, culture. Culture and, and uh, a genuine buy-in to, to what they were doing, not from a systems and tactics standpoint, but they bought into each other, I think. And, um, yeah, sort of like a selfless feeling, a, a a trust uh, in their teammate. I, I think they put in a lot of work trying to build that over quarantine. And we talked about a little bit earlier, how do you respond to being isolated? How do you respond to COVID, right? This is the circumstance we're in. How do we make the best of it? And they put a lot of work in and having a lot of difficult conversations with each other about how to be better. And I think that culminated in, in what you saw. And I think that, that's where it comes from, right? It's not about the little, you know, piece of hardware. It's not about, hey, we beat, you know, this team or that team. It's just all the hard work that you put into it on the court and also in terms of relationships. So okay. now they get to look back and say they were the best in the world at what they did. So that's pretty neat. Yep. Let's jump over to Jay Hasek or George Mason. I 100% agree with Dave. Culture wins. You, you look at the men's side, Poland was is arguably the best team in the world. Okay. They just brought on the absolute best player in the world in Rafael Leon, and they didn't make it. Uh, and so that doesn't mean that Poland's culture was broken. It just means you don't just get to win because you have the best players. And in USA Volleyball on the women's side proved that. And I think, you know, we as coaches, I, I've been fortunate. I know the other two guys have done it over the years where we've coached both genders at various times. And one of the phrases that I think really reigns true is, you know, men battle to bond and women bond to battle and the women's side, especially with Karch and all that stuff that he does with those girls in terms of building that culture of building that bond. There was a lot of mention about, you know, there was some, there was some tension and some issues early on and they, they had it out and sat it down and, and figured it out. And, you know, we're open and honest and, and allowing their, their defensive walls to go down to build that bond with other people on that team. And that by far uh, was the reason why they won. They were the best team. 
and 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 I say team, meaning team, not necessarily the best players at each spot, but they were the best team, and that's yeah. why they won, at least in my eyes. Helps that they have some pretty darn good players too, though. That yeah, no, it doesn't hurt when yeah. you when you got some of the best players on your team, but but I, I think I think culturally you, you're right. That that's the reason why I think yeah. they were able to take it off. All right, Dan Friend of Lewis, take shot. Well, it certainly is culture, and I think it's also timing with culture. Um, and so we talk about like the our women's team had some experienced older players, had some younger players, uh, and so you, you got to get the right personalities with that experience. Karch is in, was in his uh, second uh, four year term in terms of that, and so he and he so, so there's timing with that, or it might have been his third because he was assistant on that group before, right, Dave? So yep. th- there's some timing now on that in terms of experience, culture, players, all that stuff. And that all kind of puts you in a a position to compete at the level and and take home a gold, I think. And it's tough. All of us have been coaches. And when you're trying to build culture and trying to get all those things to line up at the right time and the right moment and the right week in terms of competing, uh, it's certainly, there's certainly a process uh, and you're hoping it all kind of ends up being at the right timing with that process. And uh, I think Dave's privy of a little bit more of that inside culture, even than we are, uh, which it would be cool to pick his brain sometimes about some of that stuff, but I he's think- He's our chauffeur. That's how he gets the inside. Yeah, yep, for sure. Some things going on, I'm sure that uh, that Karch and his staff have, have done and put in place. And uh, I've got to hear a little bit from the outside, but I think those are things that continue to make your programs run at an elite level uh, in terms yeah. of that. And, uh, lots of whether it's mental or volleyball or all these things we talk about, there's lots of little areas that all play into that uh, uh, and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the pool play here. I mean, they were pretty dominant weeks with exception of, of one stumble there. And it was against ROC or the Russian Olympic committee, as we so heard so often, but um, they were swept by uh, ROC and Natalia Goncharova. They're a huge opposite. I mean, she is a physical beast. Uh, was just having her way with the uh, USA defense and then lost Jordan Thompson on top of that with a sprained ankle. Then the next match they play Italy go down 0-2 and lose uh, Jordan Poulter. So um, as a coach, what do you tell your team? You've lost two key components of your team. You're coming off a loss. You're down 0-2 in in set number three, that Italy match. How do you get your team motivated to turn that around? And we'll start with uh, you, Jay. You know, I think all of us over the years of our college coaching careers have, have faced similar situations and, and you train the way that you, you want the team to kind of react to things. And, you know, when somebody goes down, obviously, if, if you're one of the best players in your position, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a, of a downturn, so to speak. But you train the guy who's up or the girl who's up behind to go, hey, this is your time to shine. And when you get your number called, you go out and let it fly. And so I think. USA Volleyball, or at least Karch in this position, has just kind of looked at his team. And, and literally, when it happened, I'm, I, I'm assuming this is what happened. He looked at it and went, wow, that sucks. Looked down the line and said, hey, you're in, let's go. And that person went in and, and did the best they could. And when you have that culture of knowing it doesn't matter who comes off the bench, you're not reinventing the gun. You're just reloading the gun. And so when Poulter came in, I mean, she was unreal. Haley Washington. Uh, Wong Arantes, all these girls, if any of them went down, the next person in, boom, they were hitting the ground running at full speed and they had the trust of everybody around them. And it was 
that was so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to uh, Dave. Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the phrase, right? You fall to the level of your training, right? You don't rise up, but you fall to the level of your training. So as coaches, that's our job, right? So Karch, uh, nobody plans more meticulously than Karch. So uh, there was no doubt that his girls were ready. And you heard it in a few timeouts of uh, just, hey, we're going to face some adversity and here's our plan going forward and let's go. So, um, yeah. Hey, at the Olympics, you, you got to get out of pool play. So you don't have to win them all, but you got to get out of pool play. And then you got to be good in quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. So uh, I think a little bit of adversity in pool play helped prime them and get them ready to rock and roll. Yeah. Good assessment. And uh, finally, Dan. Yeah, I don't know if there's much to add. I, I think as coaches, that's all part of it. It's like you, you reaffirm your confidence in them to go back out no matter who was stepping into that role. And even if they make it like Hancock makes a couple of mistakes, but I'm sure Karch and Aaron or any of those, they were just like, Hey, you got this next point. Let's go. Do you know what I mean? And she found a little groove and a little rhythm and they were able to come back and win that match in five. And so, uh, so I, I think it's, you know, Karch believes in all his ladies. And so I think that was all part of that process. And uh, you never, I never felt like I saw them scrambling mentally as a group when you watched the timeouts or when they were playing or, couple bad plays you never saw anybody leaving the huddles or any of the coaching staff it was all like hey we're moving to the next point here's our plan next point here we go and and, and there was a process with that and you saw that and you could see that on the timeouts and how the flow is and you can watch other i, I watched enough volleyball like some of the other benches on if I have the teams where you'd see players go separate ways or <laughs> coaches are over the top irate or things are happening like that and i just you know i, I like i liked karch's flow and how he worked with his uh, players and how that groove was and all that played into continuing to, to, to push the confidence that it didn't matter what player was on the floor. Yeah. Well, so I'd mentioned that ROC won in a sweep 3-0 and then uh, USA had to come back 3-2, and, you know, a nail biter five set. But, and then you come into the quarterfinals and the semis, USA brutalized Dominican Republic and Serbia. What kicked in, in your guys' eyes? And we'll start with uh, Dan on this one. Well, it's so key winning that match in five, though, to get Dominican in the first round. They just remember that. So I thought that was a key, you know, flip, because who knows? Then you're facing somebody else that's a little tougher in the in the first round match. And I'm not downplaying Dominican, but we were significantly just talent-wise better than them. You can um, you can downplay Dominican. They were not near. I mean, they got fourth in a in a weak pool. Right, right. So I think, you know, certainly that that gave us some confidence to get a great groove going in the next match. And I watched that Serbian match and my good buddy Serbian. Uh, and I asked him why his team didn't show up. You know what I mean? So, but, uh, uh, but they, they have, they ride one player. I don't know. What's the opposite's name, Dave? Do you know? Um, Boscovich. But they're yeah. not having Mihailovic, their outside hitter, for whatever reason, you know, and right. they were saying a nerve injury or whatever. That really hurt them because they had, you know, with her on the other pin, she's got a cannon of an arm and she's a handful to try to stop. So they, it, part of it is, you know, her not being able to play. And then China, China getting knocked out, not even making it out of pool. There's a, somebody that has been in contention for a medal in every wow. tournament since 2014. So there's another one for you. And a coaching change on top of that yeah. now. <laughs> and then, look, I mean, just look how emotional the players were at the end, right? Talk about something pretty cool in terms of respect for that coach and just what they feel for her, you know, just how, if you didn't see it and you're a volleyball fan, just try to go find it on YouTube in terms of 
the respect that they paid for her to her. Uh, I think it was after that last match. Yep. Anything to add, Jay? You know, when you have a coach that you want to play for, you know, you, you, you know, I think Dave and, and Dan would, would agree with this. You know, we recruit kids that we feel are going to fit well in our systems and have some physicality and, and all the, you know, the extracurricular stuff that goes on with it. <clears throat> it takes a little bit of time uh, for a kid to come into a program and to immediately buy in. Uh, it, it just doesn't happen where they walk in the gym the first day and they're like, God, I'm doing everything that coach is telling me and I'm, this is going to be the best. It just doesn't work like that. And if those two do, then I got to get out of the game because I don't know what I'm doing. But the reality is it takes a little bit of time for them to fully buy in. Uh, and when you watch players uh, get emotional when they don't show the coach their best ability or they lose, like what Dave was talking about with the Chinese coach, watch Brazil uh, when their old coach, when they didn't win, the, I think it was the World League, that was like the one title they never won. There was a, there was a world championship or something that Brazil has never won on the women's side. And when they didn't get it one year, the emotion that the kids felt and the way that they showed the reaction to their coach about how they wanted to give him this one win. It, it just, it just shows the level of, of connection and, and uh, an ability to relate to people on various levels to get them all to be a part of the group. And, uh, and when you have that kind of magic, yeah, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot you can accomplish. And I think USA did a real nice job with that this year. Uh, and it shows. Yeah. Well, next question for you guys is uh, what do you feel was the defining moment for the USA women's national team during the Olympic tournament? Um, I think uh, I have you guys thinking here, cause I'm looking at your guys' faces like, Oh, don't pick me first, but I think I'm going to go with uh, Dan on this one. Well, I, I think it's the, the reverse sweep. All right. So I just, Micah Hancock comes in, flubs balls, the team figures it out. They don't, and they just start going. And I think that just gave the confidence that it didn't matter who was coming in at what time, um, you know, they, they, they were going to win. And I thought that played right over into uh, the elimination rounds and the quarters and the semis and all that stuff. So I, to me, that was the key match, just mentality wise and everything that uh, you saw us take the next step. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to jump in and insert myself in the conversation because I was actually going to do it first before I started uh, looking at you guys. But I'm going to say that day of the Serbia match, I actually tweeted out someone had said, I don't know about Serbia. That's the one team that we're worried about. I said, it's not, you know, my mentality behind the tweet was this. We have the talent and it's going to come down to leadership. And I said, Jordan's going to have to lead that team. And I'm saying that because Dave's on here, but I just felt like they've got the tools she just has to show that and put the confidence in the other girls on the court that they could do it. Um, so I actually texted Jordan that day. I said, it's going to come down to you, I think, and no pressure, but the girls are playing well, but they want to see you as their leader, take them down. And they did three Oh. So that was my defining moment for the women's national team. When they did what they did to Serbia and they had all their defenders in area one and six, and just left the entire line open and, and were able to dig every single ball. It got to a point where uh, Boscovich was hitting balls wide, long, and she just couldn't get a groove going. So definitely that, that Serbia match. But uh, let's go over to Jay on uh, his defining moment for the uh, women's national team. I have to agree 100% with Dan. The, the comeback win against Italy, that, the, the reverse sweep, that's such a tough thing to do. And, you know, the first game, getting that, getting that first game, game number three, 
that's obviously some momentum building. But when you win the fourth and all of a sudden you start to see the eyes start to waver a little bit on the other side, that's, uh, you know, that's when you got them in their sights. And I, and I got to give a little shout out to Jordan as well. I mean, how cool is it for her in, in her last match? I, I don't know if it is last match, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> but in that match to put down the gold medal point, I mean, that, that is pretty darn cool. And, uh, you know, like I said, I got a little overclumped when I watched all that stuff. That was really amazing. So that, that was my turning point, the Italy match for sure. Yep. And we'll close out Dave. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, with the win in five against Turkey. Uh, it seems like forever ago, but that was a pretty gritty win against a pretty emotional team in Turkey that pushes you, tests you. Gio's a great coach. You know that they're going to have a good game plan. They play with passion. I thought that was a hard and hard match. And the fifth set, I think at one point it was like 12 all or something. Like it was, that match was in doubt for a long time. So I thought that one was good. Um, and then I thought the other one that was pivotal was them beating the us beating china right we swept china yep. is that yep accurate and the reason i say that is you know we got it handed to us at bnl like pretty bad <laughs> um so i think that match there was a little bit of doubt of like how's this gonna go here's china you know it, it was early in pool play and china was in there and j- just lost and they had to win all of a sudden to come out and really control a team that you tend to match up against in every major tournament for a medal. Uh, again, since 2014, I think we've faced China a lot in for medals, and they've come out a few more times than us. So I thought that was pretty pivotal. And then it, it just seemed to get a better and better, and then the Italy match, and then it. I think by the end of pool play, we were thinking, hey, we're pretty, we're pretty darn good. Um, yeah. So I thought those that was a pivotal moment sort of for the summer in terms of what had happened previously. And just if that match goes a little bit differently, it, it could be a little bit rough. Yeah. You know, I wrote this question down. And I actually sent it out to you guys. I, I was like, should I ask this? But, you know, they're definitely, I feel like we should just to get their names out there, um, you know, so our, our volleyball fans can see. But who were some of the top performers of the USA women's national team? And we saw a lot of them because they had to step up during this tournament and VNL, but um, I wanted to put it to you guys and we'll just, I won't put you under that much pressure. Just name one that we don't get in trouble, but I'll jump ahead. I'm a Jordan Larson fan. So I'm going to say, and save Dave on this one. I, I, I just, I really felt like she was like what Karch wanted out of her. He got, she led the team. You know, she didn't have, you know, numbers to lead every single match. Um, in fact, you know, Definitely still had some errors there, but the fact of the matter, she led the team. Uh, she, I, I feel like if you want to be a court leader, you watch what Jordan Larson does on the court. Um, so that, that's why it stuck out the most. And I'm going to throw a second one on there. Justine Wongorantes, but that's because I'm a homer. OC bias, you know, Los Alamitos High School. I, I've been seeing her since she was probably the first ball she picked up when she was four years old. So I, I've got to give her a shout out. So, But I'm going to go to you guys on this one, on your top performers. And we'll start with uh, Dan on this one. Well, well, I'd take Jordan for sure. I thought she was phenomenal. You know so I mean? you're going to bail out Dave too. All right. I like I'm, it. I'm not bailing him out. I'm just, I texted her. I thought it's the best defense and passing I'd seen ever. You know what I mean? It was so fun to watch. And I don't know. They, they certainly have to attack the ball. And she certainly attacked the ball well too. But I thought she was the best player. I thought she, she did the things at the right time the team needed, even when they were kind of crunched and, has nothing to do that Dave's on this phone call whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, she's phenomenal. Um, 
she can come in my gym anytime she wants to and compete against my guys. That'd be great. You know I mean? so, <laughs> yeah, I thought she was great. And certainly there were other players that had moments, but the one that all the way through, I, I thought was, uh, was Jordan. So. Yeah. How about you, Jay? Yeah, three. Uh, and, and I'm just going to put Jordan in the category of, you know, it's an obvious, uh, I thought Jordan Poulter did a fantastic job running the offense, uh, to come in your first Olympics and to run that kind of an offense and to help, um, you know, to, to just have that calm, cool, collected attitude the whole time. She was fantastic. Haley Washington, I thought did a fantastic job in the middle. Um, she was dominating on a lot of different fronts uh, and blocking, especially. And then I, I too thought Justina Wangarantes was phenomenal. I watched her in that Brazil match. She could not not pass a four. It was unbelievable what she was doing. There were balls flying at her from all different angles, uh, all different speeds. She was nails. And if you're a young player out there in the States right now on the women's side and even on the men's side, and you want to see how it's done, watch her videos. She is amazingly good. Wow. Huge endorsement by Jay Hosick. And finally, let's go to David Hunt. Yeah, I won't mention Jordan. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to, to say the MVP of the Olympic Games, you know, as your person to watch is sort of a bailout, but... Um, yeah, MBH, yeah, Michelle Barch-Hackley, UC Irvine assistant coach, 2013. I'll throw that one in there, because I'm a home. All right, good, good, good. <laughs> uh, for me, it was watching individual performances of different aspects of, of the girls' game. So Barch comes out and just nails a bunch of balls and become, is one of the better passers of the tournament. Justine's all-around play when I think the libero position was maybe, you know, a toss up for a while, this squad. So that was great watching Faluka come out and uh, dominate in terms of blocking balls, right? Everyone knows her for her offense, but Haley sort of overtook that and she was pretty dominant on offense and Faluka all of a sudden comes out and is stuffing balls. And then Jordan Thompson comes out in her first Olympics and is hitting 500 for the first three matches and just, you know, goes off in three sets for 34 points. Um, so then you have that performance and then Annie Drews comes in for her and uh, lights it up as well. Right. And so for me, it was all, all these little things coming together that sort of made, made the big picture. So Yeah. Great assessment by all you guys. Um, last question promise. And this is, I think uh, Dan may have uh, mentioned, alluded to something as far as the changes, but what do we see in the future of USA women's national team? Retirements, a lot of changes, step away from the games. Um, we'll start with you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know who's retiring, who's not. I think the three-year window is, is going to be appealing to some people. You know, next year's world champs. So yeah. then all of a sudden you're starting to look at, all right, can I get through a World Cup? And then I'm playing in the Olympic Games. Um, so I don't know who's going to retire. But I think the U.S. is looking at a potential run uh maybe similar to what we saw cuba do uh you know what was it in the 90s yeah. where they just they can come out you know i see the pieces that are in the gym that weren't on the olympic roster but but are ready to be on a olympic roster and you got some unique physicality coming up and it uh for me it would be a pretty exciting time to be a usa volleyball fan in general yeah let's go over to uh, jay I don't know who is retiring. I, I'm not as involved on the women's side as obviously Dave is, but I will make this prediction. 
you might see a few of those girls become coaches real fast. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see a few of them coaching on the men's side. And I think that's an absolutely welcome thing to see. Uh, they were, they bring a whole new level of uh, a dedication and a whole new level of how to play the game uh, culturally. And I think that's highly valued, especially in the college game. So yeah. that's my take. Let's close that with Dan Brandon Lewis. Is the unlimited, uh, was it called unlimited athletes professional league? Was that what it was called? Is that going athletes on? Athletes unlimited, the league yeah. Yeah. or the competition. So that is going again. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I just, I, I think I bring that up because I think about a few people that maybe they don't go overseas to play, but they play in that and they're still on our national team uh, because of that short three-year window. I think you might see that yep. uh, yeah. in terms of just uh, some of our uh, more experienced or older players staying a part of uh, this Olympic squad. And so, and by, like, and I'm not privy like Dave is, but I certainly know some of the names that are in the gym talent wise on the women's side, <laughs> pretty darn good. So, uh, but I'll be curious to see what happens coaching staff wise. So uh, I have not heard in case one of you have that Karch has signed an already extension to the next squad. Has anybody heard that? I haven't heard anything. Oh, so I'm curious. We talked about the men's coaching staff, but where does the women's coaching staff go? And uh, I know Luke's uh, Slabe uh, is a head coach on the women's side. Uh, I know Aaron's the national team development director. Um, so how do some of those pieces shift and how does that change culture or does it stay the same uh, with what they've been doing? But um, I think all those things will probably, my guess, be figured out over the next uh, couple months. And that'll kind of play into a little bit uh, with how this team's current and going ahead development is. So Yeah. Well, actually, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm sorry to go off script and I said that was the last question, but um, I wanted to see if you guys have heard any buzz about, a national team training facility, because I believe the ASC contract is done with the, this Olympics officially because it closed up last year, uh, pre COVID, you know, they're having some, you know, financial issues or whatever, but, but they need to find a training site. Is there any buzz or chatter as to where that could be or that you guys have heard? Cause both the men's and women's were training at that facility. Yeah. I I've heard rumors, but nothing more than rumors. Okay. Uh, rumors that, uh, yeah, I mean, they were looking at some different spots across the country, but I think they were trying to settle on something in Southern California was the last rumor that I had heard. But they, they had been looking before ASC closed. So Correct. that wasn't, yeah, that's been something the USA volleyball is looking for. But I will say that, that the people that bought that facility that, you know, the business people that bought ASC that kept that portion, a gym one, thank you to them for, for doing that they didn't have to do that they're not us in athletics complex right they're they're using it for their business too they might be enjoying the passive income that comes from that place now being packed with nine courts and basketball bonanzas going on there so um who knows i wouldn't rule out that facility potentially okay. housing the u.s now again that's just pure speculation from from being down there and helping with some camps for the last few weeks but yeah, yeah. Well, uh, before we end our Olympics hangover episode, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, some college volleyball weekly business. Uh, Donovan Cruz, Ball State head coach, has got his coaching staff. And I believe uh, uh, Dan Friend is familiar with one of the guys that's came on board. Why don't you uh, talk a little about your buddy, Mike Iandolo? Uh, Iandolo? I, I yeah, can't remember how to say Mike, it correctly. 
Iandolo, correct, made the move to be the assistant for Donan over at Ball State. So, but congrats to both Donan and Mike. Uh, I think uh, Donan's excited about uh, getting his feet on the ground and going. I know they're trying to move and balance that stuff. They both got uh, wives and kids, and so they're they're both figuring all of that stuff out right now. But I think they'll do uh, some great things there. So he knows his internal plan. So, but he also got another assistant just announced uh, yesterday, Christian Rupert as an assistant oh, as well. Okay. All right. And I don't know a whole bunch about him, but I was hoping one of you guys knew about him and we can say, hey, congratulations. Yeah, he was at Princeton uh, helping out there and he played at BYU uh, originally from Pennsylvania area. So yeah, awesome kid. He's been in volleyball for a long time. I call him a kid, but he's grown up. So, <laughs> um, but I was gonna say, does Charleston have a, did they fill their position yet? I didn't check. So they have, uh, they've given the interim tag to their, to Mike's assistant. Um, I do not know if they are looking for somebody immediately to come in or if they're going to give him the tag for the year and then re reopen the hire at the end of the year. Uh, but the notion is, is that their assistant has gotten the job and, uh, you know, we're just going to see what, see what happens next. Cool. And I'd be remiss to not say congratulations to Riley Selman. Now the head coach at Concordia university, Irvine. So he'll be seeing a lot of Dave and Hunt right up the coast. So uh, some coaching movement and changes uh, across the nation and looking forward to uh, see how the 2022 season pans out here. Uh, this is uh, Dave Hunt of Pepperdine, Dan Friend of Lewis and Jay Hosick of George Mason doing our Olympics episode hangover, both the men's and women's national teams and touching on some international. We avoided the beach because we're, we're focusing on the indoor game here. Um, but uh, thank you guys for all your time today. I know as like a, basically an hour and a half of recording, but it's always good to catch up with y'all.